listening to The Defiant Ones, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of Defy. Hello, Defiance. What's going on? My name is Kevin Deers. This is episode two of the Defiant Ones. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode one. Got a lot of great feedback. Of course, listening to the the man, the myth, the legend, the weirdo hero himself, Randy Myers. Love that guy. Love chatting with him. It was it was my pleasure to to start things off with the champ, the Defy champion, Randy Myers. Such an awesome success. The Defiance Patreon has already been, and it's just getting better. This past weekend, there was a watch-along for Defy Rewind with Brody King. I'd like to personally thank the Defiance Patreons for joining us for Defy Rewind. And uh, there's going to be another one in November. That's going to be a monthly thing for you to watch. Uh, old Defy moments with some of uh, your favorite Defy wrestlers. Halloween is coming up. Um, and, and when I think about Halloween, I think about some of my favorite Halloween costumes throughout the years. One of the most ridiculous Halloween costumes I think I ever hooked up was Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, back in, I believe it was 2014, I had a freshly shaved head. I grew out my mustache, got a little goatee going crushed some Steve Weisers, and I had one of those muscle shirts underneath that uh, made me look like I was big and buff with an Austin 316 shirt. It was pretty badass, and uh, I don't know if I'm going to be doing much dressing up this week uh, as as it is the um, pandemic, and I don't think it would be wise to really go to any parties. I'm thinking about maybe just painting my entire body green and being a Ninja Turtle. Uh, what do you think? Either way, uh, you can celebrate early Friday night, the 30th. So that's October 30th is the first ever Merch-O-Rama. It's a live event hosted by Migs and Ethan HD. So you can watch our socials for updates on how you can watch it against the first ever Merch-O-Rama. And last but not least, our Discord feed for patrons should also be up in the next few weeks. We'll launch that with an AMA, a.k.a. an Ask Me Anything. So without any further ado, let's launch into episode two. This is a long one. It's about an hour and 20, uh, but it's a good conversation with Ethan HD, one half of the American Guns. He has his own new podcast, and he's also the owner of a badass comic book shop called Destiny City Comics. Talk all about that and so much more. Check it out. Episode two of The Defiant Ones with Ethan HD. Hey, what's going on? It's the Defiant Ones episode two, and uh, we're actually, I'm on Skype right now with Ethan HD. Uh, this guy has his own podcast now. He's not just a wrestler, not just a comic book store owner, but he's also uh, a media personality now. Ethan, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I will not rest until every waking hour of my day is has me busy doing something. Oh man, abs! I dude, I kind of I can totally relate to that. In um, the beginning of uh, quarantine, the beginning of uh, the pandemic and and whatnot, um, my day job shut down for a while. I wasn't able to go into the radio station um, just because of you know uh, safety reasons and stuff, and so. I went from working seven days a week to working no days a week. I had no idea what to do with myself. And so I like, I, I seriously, I had like this like weird moment where I was like, 
I don't know how to stop working. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like same thing. Like I, I started the shop and then was doing that full time and then wrestling on the weekends. And then Monday is like technically my day off because the store's closed. Yeah. But then that's just me doing administrative stuff from home. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, like as soon as like wrestling like went on hiatus, I was like, I have I have a lot of free time. And also part of like the reason I wanted the podcast was like all of these people that I'm used to seeing on like a monthly basis or like every couple weeks or whatever, I just wasn't seeing at all. And it was kind of just like a good excuse to to call my friends and catch up with people and, you know, see, get, get updated on people's lives. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, yeah. but there were so many wrestling podcasts out there oh, yeah. that I didn't want to be just another wrestling podcast. And it was just all of this talk of like traveling and things like that. And it was like, there are so many good road stories. And I found like that was my favorite part of like other wrestling podcasts, like specifically like when Colt will do like the art of wrestling mm-hmm. I loved hearing about guys going to Japan and being a fish out of water or, you know, oh, we had this this crazy road story and we got pulled over and the car exploded. And like I to me, that was the stuff I enjoyed more so than the, you know, what made you want to be a wrestler and who's your favorite wrestler growing up kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Nice, man. Yeah, I I agree. And and some of those stories with uh, what was his name? Um, Cliff Compton going over to Africa. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 I mean, the, I, those were classic stories on, on the art of wrestling. I feel like there's just so many good stories uh, on the art of wrestling that made me um, actually way more interested in those people. Like I would follow those wrestlers. Like I didn't know who Cliff Compton was, and then when I would listen to his in-depth interviews on on uh, Colt Cabana's podcast and learn about all these weird travel stories, it got me like super interested in the characters. Yeah, another really good one is this guy, Quiet Storm. Uh And I became a fan of his, like, probably early 2000s. He was in that group of, like, Amazing Red, Loki, Homicide, the SATs. Okay. Like, that New York, we all came out of Mikey Whipwreck school. Homicide and stuff, yeah. Loki, yeah. And he kind of, like, to me, just didn't catch on in the States like the rest of them did for whatever reason. And then he ended up on Colt's podcast. And I guess he basically just went to Japan and loved it and just stayed there and just made a career out of wrestling in Japan at like Osaka Pro, Noah and all places. Okay. That's cool. That's rad, man. Yeah. So now you're officially a podcaster. Have you gotten, uh, have you, have you done the Blue Chew advertisements yet? Are you, are you on the boner pill advertisement uh, game yet? Hopefully I want to (laughs) be, I want to. I want to start talking about like my erectile dysfunction <laughs> or just encourage people to overcome the CBD um, and the, and the, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. It's because it's either motor pills or it's, it's stamps.com. Like those are the, those are the two. You either hate going to the post office or can't get it up for the life of you. Those are apparently the people who like listen to podcasts primarily. Oh man. How are you holding up <laughs> dude? Like day by day, day to day, like, Um, you know, you can't do one of the things that you, you know, have done for, you know, so long now, which is wrestle. How are you holding up as far as like your day to day? Um, and how are you staying sane and also staying safe? Uh, to me, it comes in waves. Uh, there will be like weeks on end where I, I don't miss wrestling per se. And I'm 
and I'll even tell my wife, like, you know, I could get used to just just living this kind of civilian life and just like having the shop. And then there are times where I'm like, I really have like this great idea for like a spot or like yeah. I have this like killer idea for like a promo and I'd love to just go to the ring and work it out and not being able to to do that drives me nuts. And then for like a week, that's all I can think about is like, how could I like safely justify, get, you know, going back and wrestling or like, oh, I hear these people are running shows. Maybe I could, maybe I could get out there and do something. But at, at the end of the day, like it's, I mean, like for some guys, it's definitely safe-ish for them to wrestle. Like I know like at the collective, they were doing, doing the best they could mm-hmm. to, to keep everybody safe and separate and everybody was tested. Um, though I guess a few guys did like earlier this week, or maybe it was even today, test positive for COVID-19. Uh, but for me, having asthma, like COVID-19 oh, yeah. is like That's close no joke. Yeah. to a death sentence. Yeah. And so like, cause even just getting like the cold, like I'm, I'm done for at least a few days and like living off my inhaler, like a snorkel. So I couldn't imagine like getting COVID-19 and not just being on a ventilator to stay alive. Yeah, I, I I would say you're erring on the side of caution is is a good move for you. But, you know, no judgments either way. But, you know, as far as I think it's important for people to take their own personal accountability and stuff. So that's that's good that you you're you're at least thinking that far ahead. Um, and and sounds like you kind of need to as far as your own personal health and in and, and your risks. Uh, but you are back in the gym, right? I listened to your podcast. You were talking about how, how difficult it was and, and you immediately went straight into uh, ultimate leg day that which, which ruined your week. Oh yeah. Well, so when, when everything went down, like with COVID-19 and the gym closed, gyms closed and everything kind of closed up, mm-hmm. it because everything, at least for me hit all at once where it was like, no wrestling, no gym, and now we have to close the doors to your store for an indefinite period of time. Yeah. It was very, very depressing, I guess is the best way to put it. And it just felt like everything caving in on me at once. And I wouldn't say I spiraled into like a, a depression depression. Like I know people who, who suffer from clinical depression. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't that. But it definitely, to me, felt like, oh, what's the, what's the point? Like, What's the point in doing all these push-ups and all these sit-ups at home? Yeah, it's all for nothing. And so I very much let like my diet and and my physical well-being kind of kind of just go to shit, um, to, to put it bluntly. <laughs> and so yeah, like six months went by where I just didn't really work out at all. And because I'm I'm an idiot and I still have this ego, uh, I decide when I go back to the gym, I'm gonna do leg day. And it was not the worst idea of my life, but definitely like the worst idea that month. And it was just three days of trying to go as hard as I could, like I hadn't taken six months off. And by the end, every, literally every muscle I had had just locked up, like my shoulders, my lower back, my abs, my legs, like everything hurt. And I had to take about four, four or five days off and then slowly ease back into it. <laughs> Jesus. Well, 
Okay, so give me a rundown of what the gym's like, where uh, where you are. I haven't gone back to the gym. I did the thing um, at the gym that I go to where I just put my um, membership on pause and just pay a little bit each month to keep it, you know, kind of in their system. But uh, are, is there a, a pretty intense protocol where you go to? You got to wear the mask the whole time and, and social distance, or what's it like getting back into the gym? And this is probably, you know, uh, doesn't. Maybe there's some people that are listening that are like, dude, this is so easy. Like, what are you talking about? I would go to the gym every day. But I'm just curious. What's it like for you? For me, I'm one, I'm very lucky that I I live very close to my gym. Okay. And like, like literally almost like, I mean, it's maybe a minute walk, maybe two minute walk. Nice. And I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. It's also a smaller private, like privately owned gym oh, okay so it's not like la fitness or 24-hour fitness but it yeah. is 24 hours and you have a little key card you swipe in and out of so for me the the advantage is i, I usually work out like 11 30 to midnight oh great so yeah. there's nobody in the gym okay um i don't so i don't honestly know really what their protocols are i just know that when i go i wait till there's nobody there and if I, if I show up and I see like a car in the parking lot, I'll just come back in half an hour. Mm. But I've found 1030 I can usually get away with with nobody being there. Um, but yeah, I would say by 1130 is the safe spot. So but yeah, I'm not, honestly not sure what their, their okay. protocols are. I know there's more hand sanitizer <laughs> there than there used to be. And they have those like little like wipe down rag stations now. Okay, yeah. Right, we're right on, man. Well, that's cool that you can you have the ability to go to one that's, you know, not as like widely, um, you know, not a ton of people breathing on you and stuff. That's nice. I bet that's uh makes you feel a little bit more safe. Um, so you, uh, I know your comic book shop is in Tacoma. Do you live in Tacoma? I do. I live maybe like fifteen twenty minutes away from my shop, if that. Oh, cool. Yeah, very very close. That's great. Um. Tell me, uh, so in the podcast, and, and I'm skipping around here, but uh, this kind of ha- relates to, you know, your fitness and also, you know, you were talking about your diet and you kind of let that go to shit and, and whatnot. Um, in the podcast, you mentioned that you're vegan. Uh, have you have you been vegan for quite a while now? And um, what's what does, what does, you know, letting your diet go to shit look like when you're a vegan? Do you just eat a lot of Hostess Twinkies or something? Pretty much. Yeah. Uh... Because the, the amazing thing about going vegan is that because American junk food specifically is so little, there's so little real food in it, oh, okay. it is filler and like sugars and salts and like seasonings and things and preservatives, a lot of junk food just by default is vegan because there's not enough real food in it. So like almost all Oreos are, are vegan. Okay. And that is like hands down my go-to go-to junk food and so yeah i would say like probably like two times a week maybe a little more i would polish off like an entire package of oreos oh wow like yeah just be doing like books or like doing orders and just yeah knock out like a whole thing of oreos uh but yeah, i've been vegan this is probably year three of it oh cool and so far i mean i'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, I think the hardest part of going vegan is there are definitely certain restaurants you're just like, oh, I'm not going there anymore. Mm-hmm. But then I find the flip side is you find like the restaurants that, that you can go to and that are accommodating. And then, yeah, after that, it, it's pretty smooth sailing. 
if you don't mind me asking, was the reason for going vegan uh, more of a fitness thing or like an animal liberation kind of thing? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, I think from a moral aspect, more, the moral aspect is definitely the reason I think I'll stay vegan. Um, as far as why I went, my wife went vegan probably about five years before I did. Cool. And so just seeing like her adapt to it and going like, okay, this is definitely, definitely something sustainable. And so I think that helped. But yeah, a lot of it was just the moral reasons. Even fitness-wise, I just feel better. And seeing like a lot of like documentaries by vegan athletes and like reading books from vegan athletes, there definitely seems to be, especially for like a cardiovascular aspect, definitely an advantage to having a, a vegan diet or a plant-based mm -hmm. diet versus like something that's more animal product heavy. Yeah. And yeah. in general, it just, it feels like, and this isn't to be preachy, uh, but the idea of eating meat feels like dated technology in the sense that we know like obviously like the, the early uh, protozoic man ate ate meat and things like that mm -hmm. but once we learned how to farm it was so much easier to feed a ton of people doing this farming and way safer than it was to to hunt down this one animal yeah. and try to feed our tribe with that and it just feels very unnecessary to spend all of these resources to to raise this one cow that feeds a handful of people when those same resources you're feeding to the cow, you could feed so many more. That's actually a really good point. I haven't thought about it like that, huh? Well, yeah, I, I mean, part of the reason we started, we started farming is it was, it was easier than hunting. And I understand now we, we farm animals. Yeah. But just from, a, I guess, a logistical standpoint, it just, to me, made more sense. Also, if you, I mean, to be real, if, if you and your wife are always cooking together and stuff, it probably just makes more sense to make one thing as opposed to just two different things. Like, you know, if you can both have the same thing, like you don't want to make something that's heavy in meat and dairy for you and then make a whole another meal for her. It'd rather oh, just... Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too, is it's, it's so nice to, like, just share a meal with somebody that you, that you love anyways, so that... Yeah, that alone was a was also a selling point. Uh, so we've been alluding to the shop and and your comic book shop and stuff, but uh, it, for some um, fans of Defy and the De Defiance, some members of the Defiance, they might not know that you actually run a pretty awesome comic book shop called Destiny City Comic um, in Tacoma, uh, just actually right next to the venue. Um, what is that venue? The theater. Uh, the Tacoma Temple Theater. Yeah, Tacoma Temple Theater. I actually saw uh, wrestling back uh, back in the day, a long time ago, when I was in high school, I saw this guy named Awesome Adam do a uh, moonsault off the balcony, through a table, and uh, yeah, I almost, I almost got in the way, because I was like, you know, little Mark kid that was like <laughs> freaking out. I was, I was like, this is like mini Sabu, man. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my first interaction with independent wrestling. So that's like right next to, um, where you're at. Uh, how's your, how, how's your business been holding up, dude? Like it's gotta be a really weird year for you as far as, you know, I think this is like what your first or second actual year owning the shop. It's gotta be kind of, kind of strange, right? Yeah, we took over the shop December last year. Oh, and wow. And so we took over in the middle of the holiday rush, and then three months later had to close due to COVID restrictions. Yeah. And then become 
a strictly online retailer. And then we got to reopen with provisions. Yep. And now we're kind of in this weird hybrid brick and mortar online retailer kind of kind of world that we live in. Um, ultimately, though, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing about it. I remember talking to my wife about it and just being like, "Look, if we if we make it through this global pandemic, everything else is going to be smooth sailing. Nothing will will be more difficult." Than the time like the world almost got obliterated by a virus. Yep, absolutely, man. That's and that, and, and you're holding strong, dude. That's badass. That's a lot more than you know, and and it's a lot more than some of us can say. And 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 you guys are, um, you know, like I said, holding on, and uh, you, you're doing online business. And um, I I saw for a while you were offering deliveries and and pretty much just persevering in whatever way you could, and just kind of adapting to the situation. Um, as far as like comic books, like is that something that's always been a passion for you? Like growing up, were you always like a comic book guy? Kind of. I was big into comics when I was when I was little, from like mm-hmm. probably kindergarten through elementary school, and then around like fifth or sixth grade, I really got into wrestling. And you know, especially being raised by a single mother, your options are very are very limited as far as what's what's the entertainment budget going to be. Yeah. And it became, do you want comic books or do you want wrestling figures? And do you want to order like whatever the pay-per-view is? And so I was immediately like, well, I, I got to know like what, what's going to happen with Stone Cold. And like, oh, yeah. you know, is, you know, is the rocks, the corporate champion now, like is Mick Foley going <laughs> to get to beat him for the belt? Like I got to, I got to know this. I mean, Superman's dead. He, he's going to stay that's dead, a good point. obviously, because <laughs> that's what dead people do. Yep. But, but Stone Cold's alive here and now. I mean, yeah, Undertaker tried to embalm him, but I mean, what about next week? Right. And so he kind of fell out of, of comics for quite a while. And then it wasn't until probably like my mid-20s where I really started like getting back into it. Uh, I guess I had like the disposable income at that point to, yeah. to be able to take care of my wrestling and my comic book obsession. And yeah, I just went head first into it and just tried to get caught up on everything that I could. Um, learning about all these, you know, these new authors and things that came out. Uh, it was it was almost in a weird way, like um, like the end of a Christmas uh, Christmas Carol when mm. Ebenezer Scrooge is like, "What year is it?" I guess we we're like going to a comic book shop, and I was like, "What happened in the Civil War? Like, <laughs> who won? Like, what do you mean Captain America's dead? Wait, he's black now? I'll take it." Like it was. Yeah, it was just like asking people, like, what did I miss after like twenty years of, of like not reading comics? That's awesome. During pandemic, uh, dur- well, we're in the pandemic, but during quarantine, um, I went headfirst and, and started reading the Saga series and uh, got caught up on that. That that blew my mind. Is there any uh, coming from a comic book? store owner is there any um suggestions you would give anyone that you know might not be super comic book heads yeah if you're not super into comic books i would which i like now that comics are so much more than just like superhero stories yeah like it's become like a fully like a full-blown like storytelling medium for sure you know there's i mean there's octavia butler books that have been converted into comics now you know, John Lewis wrote his basically wrote his memoirs in comic book form. That's awesome. Um, 
I would say the the stuff that I really enjoyed outside of the superhero realm, Saga's amazing. Yeah. Uh, just because it it does a great job of tackling all of these these kind of different issues, and it takes you know like um, like race and politics and things mm-hmm. out of the equation, or it doesn't take them out, but renames them. So it kind of takes that bias you have totally one side of the other, and you just kind of analyze them. Um, Paper Girls is another really good one. Okay. It's kind of got like a Stranger Things vibe, but it deals more with time travel versus dealing with like monsters and, and the D&D kind of-esque world they've created. Gonna have to check oh, that out. Up. Yeah, Octavia Butler's Kindred. That's a really good one that translates really well. Okay. Like, into Lovecraft Country. Oh, man, that, Butler, that is so good. Yeah, Octavia Butler's graphic novels, that's that's like a, an amazing companion to those things. It's just this really cool, like Afrocentric sci-fi kind of story she tells. Like just really, yeah, really good stuff. But I would recommend that or um, even George Takai's They Call This Enemy is a really good one. Talking about like growing up in like Japanese internment camps during World War II. And just, I think there's something about seeing it illustrated that, I think kind of drives a point home a little bit more than just reading the words. Yeah. Like you really sense of like how grim things were. And especially like for a child to be, to be growing up in that kind of environment. Wow. Okay. Well, I just wrote all those down. Thanks for the suggestions. Um, so I, I kind of want to pivot a little bit and it, we, we were talking about some he- pretty heavy stuff there. Um, and, and this is definitely going to be something that, feel like could be considered uh heavy but i know it's something that uh, i don't want to put you on the spot here but i know it's something that you seem to be able to to speak to uh, now over this past six months even in the midst of the pandemic uh, there's obviously been like a number of protests over police brutality racial injustice um now following you on social media ethan i feel like i probably already know the answer to this but i'm just going to ask you anyways uh, do you feel comfortable and or responsible with using your platform as a wrestler, as a public figure, to like make us take a stance, make a statement? How comfortable do you feel with kind of voicing your own opinion, uh, being a public figure? Um, I, I personally feel very comfortable, and I know that there's a lot of people who feel one way or the other towards um, people who have a platform through entertainment using it to speak on politics. And in some cases, I kind of understand where that comes from. Mm-hmm. But to me, when it comes to the the rights, the liberty, the safety of, of people of color, of, you know, um, LGBTQ folks, things like that, to me, that's not a, even a political thing. To me, that's a moral thing. You know, voting on whether or not you want to raise taxes to pay for roads that's a political thing, and I, I could care less what what a musician or a, or an athlete says. But if it's something that where people's lives are literally at stake, yeah, then yes. And I I fully, you know, I I would happily die on the hill of defending black black lives. To me, that that just makes perfect sense. If I have this audience to be able to step, we'll listen. To be able to sit down and explain, like, look, this is my experience as as a black person in America, and these are the things I've seen, these are things I've experienced, these are things my loved ones experienced, yeah. And also, here are genuine, founded fears that I have 
that you don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, to me, it would be doing a disservice to to other people of color who don't have that kind of platform that would kill to be able to sit down in front of an audience of even a hundred kind of uninitiated uh, white people and then be able to explain like their story and what they're dealing with. It feels very disrespectful to to not take advantage of this opportunity I have that other people would would kill for. I, you know, uh, that's, that's a very heavy statement. I would, uh, I, I, like I said, I could, I kind of, <laughs> I was playing like, kind of like, I, I wasn't trying to lead you there, but I kind of knew cause like I do follow you on social media. So I, I had a feeling you, you felt f- per- perfectly fine, but I did want to give you that chance. And, and w- while I have you on there and while you have the platform of the defiant, defiant ones, uh, is there any like political, um, thing you would like to, to shine a light on or any kind of, um, you know, nonprofit or any kind of cause or anything that you would kind of like to just, you know, shine a little bit of light on? Yeah, there's a few. Um, one of the, one of the business area, I guess, charity or I guess they're, yeah, they're technically charity uh, that I've worked with a lot through the shop is the Tacoma Rescue Mission. And one of the things they recently did was they were able to purchase a building in downtown Tacoma and turn it into a women's only shelter. Oh wow! Because um, awesome. there's really not a lot of them, and it's also a very well a well put together one. The Tacoma Rescue Mission does a really good job of of taking care of people in bad situations, uh, whether it be facing homelessness um, or, you know, just people who are are facing abuse and don't have other alternatives. Mm -hmm. And what I really appreciated most about them is that it's not, it doesn't come from like an over religiousy place. It comes from like, or it comes from like a genuine desire to help people. And the women's shelter was a huge undertaking and to especially finish building it during the middle of a pandemic wow. is even tougher when when funds aren't what they, they normally would be. Mm-hmm. And I encourage anybody who, who has the time, you know, even five or even five dollars, you know, does a lot for these people, you know, especially because you know, they buy things wholesale. But if you can donate blankets, uh, food, you know, even helping out with money for like things like bus passes, all of those things they can give to the women's shelter, help those people immensely not only just become self-sufficient but the more self-sufficient these women become the less likely they are to get sucked back into these loopholes you know not loopholes but these these kind of cycles of abuse right you know you have nowhere to turn to and your abuser is the only thing between you and living on the street there's a chance you might go back to your abuser especially if you have children Mm -hmm. and you need to care and for them and the fact that the rescue mission built this entire facility and, you know, has around the clock security there and all of these things to keep these people safe while they rebuild their lives. Yeah. If, if anybody can help, you know, even like a small cash donation, like I said, like the necessities, blankets, shampoos, all of those little things. Yeah. Buying for the rescue mission lets the rescue mission allocate those funds that they do have the things that you can't necessarily donate, like people's time to watch the shelter, people's time to help, you know, get women to and from job interviews. So, I yeah, that would be the one thing. If I could plug one thing, that would be the, the one thing. Nice. All right, man. Thank you very much for that. Uh, the rescue mission in Tacoma. 
All right, so I'm going to do a hard pivot here because uh, I wanted to, you know, talk about a few different things. I would definitely want to get into a, a bit of your wrestling um, history and whatnot. But I, you're one of the wrestlers that going walking around doing interviews backstage at Defy, you always have an energy drink in your hand. You are an energy drink head. What is? I am. I am. What's your Mount Rushmore of energy drinks? Flavors, oh, man. like specific, like of all time. Pick four all-time flavors of energy drinks, brand and flavor. Okay, so first off, Abe Lincoln is my Rockstar Recovery grape flavor, which they no longer make. Oh. And I understand why, because it tastes like Dimetap. <laughs> like, it's straight-up tasted cold medicine, but it tastes like childhood to me, because oh. my grandma would give me Dimetap at night okay. to, like, make me go to sleep. <laughs> And so, so I love it. It's the two things I love, which is caffeine and my Nana. So, Aww. so Abe Lincoln is the, is the grape rock star recovery. Um, I'm going to say George Washington is going to be the white rock star flavor. Okay. Because that was the one that got me, got me addicted to energy drinks. Yeah. So we'll say that's like the OG. And then, yeah, the grape rock star is the goat. Um, and then I would say Thomas Jefferson would be, um, ooh, I'm trying to pick a really good one. I think what I've had, like, I'm trying to think of stuff that they've they've discontinued because that's always my problem. Is do you remember Rockstar Cola? It, it's so gross. Yeah, I didn't like. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say Thomas Jefferson is Bang's root beer flavor. Oh, only because I've yearned for a root beer energy drink for so long, and much like Thomas Jefferson. It's not great, but it was the best we had. So we'll take it. I don't think it's as problematic, but, you know, uh, yeah. historically problematic, probably not as much, but hey. And then I'll say that, that Teddy Roosevelt would be um, all-ins berry flavor. Yeah. Because it's the newest. Okay. And is, like, a lot young, significantly a lot more current than the previous three. All right. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I was also an energy drink head, and, and I still kind of am. I'm actually drinking this thing called the Celsius Live Fit Sparkling Fuji Apple Pear right now. It's one of those, like, new found uh, fake uh, healthy energy drinks. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily healthy, but it says healthy energy on the on the can, so it's got to be healthy, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I thought you were drinking a White Claw this whole time, not going to yeah, lie. Oh, yeah, White Claw. I uh, I do not <laughs> drink White Claws, but yeah, the Celsius, uh, it's pretty good. I do, my favorite, though, is the Bang Sweet Tea. Oh, man. Oh, that okay, that's a solid one. I had to stop drinking Bang. I re, Like a year ago, I found out they're, they weren't vegan. Oh, that's right. What's your worst energy drink you've ever tasted? The wor- Okay, there's two of them, and I hate them both equally. Dirt worst. The... The first one is Full Throttle had this one called Mother, and it was supposed to be an all-natural energy drink, but it literally tasted like carbonated like puddle water. Oh, like it just <laughs> it like if you just put like, it's like the Harry Potter jelly like, bean. Yeah, you could just take like sewage water and run it through a soda stream. That was the flavor that they canned and sold to people. <laughs> what if it actually and was? I would believe it. 
I wouldn't. I would believe it. I would be more mad if that was like six months of research and development <laughs> to right? get that flavor. I would much rather hear like, "Oh yeah, Lenny just put a rainwater bucket under the gutter, and we just started bottling that." I would be so much happier with that as the answer. The other one was Monster had a flavor called Mix, and it was early on when you could only get the green can or the purple, or it was the green or the blue can. Yeah, were your only option. And then they did a purple one, mixed. And mixed, oh, I learned both. this after I'd already bought it, was three rejected flavors that they mixed into one. And so it was three wrongs not making a right. And I bought a 32-ounce can of it for a trip from, like, Salem, Oregon, back to Tacoma. And that was all I had to drink. And I had never been so bitter in my entire life <laughs> because it literally tasted like if you went to like a soda fountain and like oh, put graveyard. your cup under each spigot for like a second. Ugh. Like it literally just tasted like all the sodas together. And it was so disgusting. And I was so mad that this existed. Well, I don't know if they make them anymore, but for a while, the only place I would see them at Walmart figures uh, was this thing King can. And it was like a gallon, like it was huge. And it said like, don't, uh, it said like, we know you could chug this, but don't. But we also put in a can you can't reseal. <laughs> exactly. So. so I, I always just imagined like family size with like some, some mom, like feeding it to her baby. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just economically, it's a lot cheaper to just buy the BFC and yeah. just portion it out to Maybe across the week. Big fucking you know, can. Sure, by the week it's a little flat, but hey, you know. Jesus. Baby's got to have its energy drink. When I was living with some friends in Auburn, uh, I didn't I didn't have much money, and I was gifted like a flat of rock stars. It was just the classic rock star with all the sugar and whatnot. And uh, I lived in their basement. Actually, I lived in their um, heater room, like a very Harry Potter-like existence living under the stairs. And instead of going upstairs to get some water in the morning, I would just crack open a, a rock star and just drink it first thing after waking up. Oh god! <laughs> was it was it like was it even cold or was it just no. like from the case? Yeah, it's like from room the temperature. Case. Yeah, room temperature rock star in the morning to like wash your mouth out with, you know? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's like when you see those shows with like an old town sheriff. And, like, the first thing he does is, like, pour himself a bottle of scotch yep. first thing in the morning. Just takes a hot, like, a hot swig of it. And that's why I am how I am. Uh, so, I guess, <laughs> speaking of hard pivots, let's let's talk a little bit about wrestling. So, um, I was able to unearth, due to my friend Nolan, some clips of my backyard wrestling days. And uh, it's kind of cringy, but also hilarious to watch now on your podcast you do admit that you used to be a backyard wrestler um i, I want the details man what was your gimmick what was your name where did you wrestle what kind of fake ring did you guys have what was your theme music give me the details on your your triumphant backyard wrestling days so my i started backyard wrestling with uh my best friend this guy aaron bolo who also ended up becoming a wrestler alongside me nice and the the promotion was called ETW Extreme Tacoma Wrestling. Oh, ETW fan. Yeah, and and so my gimmick was my gimmick wrestling name, and I'm going to re, I'm going to regret this. Uh, was called Super Cool. 
And the reason for it was because there was this uh, Upright Citizens Brigade sketch yeah. where there was like a new drug and the drug was called Super Cool. And I was like, well, there you go. It's, I got to call myself that. Yeah. A drug after a comedy sketch. And I think my gimmick was just like most backyarders. I was, my role in our backyard fed was I was the guy who wanted to be Jeff Hardy. Okay. And okay. The Jankos? only Jeff Hardy Jankos? thing I did was wear armbands and do a front flip. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you... That was that was my role. And our, but our ring changed. I swear, like every other show, we had like some different concoction of a ring. Like we had a trampoline, and then we put posts and ropes around the trampoline that you yeah. couldn't do anything with. They were mm-hmm. just just aesthetics. Uh, we wrestled on the ground. And then we had like a ring that was wood on tires. And then my personal favorite ring, because I don't even know if it technically qualifies as a ring, more so than just a pile of building materials we wrestled on. Our buddy, his dad did insulation work. Okay. And he had these like huge, like, like, um, stacks of like insulation that were like wrapped in like, um, like, so basically like the industrial saran wrap. Okay. So that you could handle them without, like, just having to shred your skin later. Yeah. So we just, like, got a bunch of those and laid out, like, a 12 by 12 square of them that was, like, a f- two feet off the ground. Yeah. And just wrestled on that. And then that was the day I nearly died backyard wrestling. <laughs> oh, my God. Do tell. Please tell. So, and I'll try to... I might post the clip online if I can find it. Yes. So I know I love the video of it. So we had like an eight foot ladder that we called a 10 foot ladder because wrestling. <laughs> yes. And I was going to climb to the top of it and then they were going to tip it over and I was going to like fall onto this, this ring of insulation that we had built. And because none of us are trained professionals, I go to the top of this ladder and I'm like literally standing on like the top of it. And this kid who's supposed to push me off instead of like tipping it over runs full speed at this thing like he is going to like tackle me at the one yard line and just slams into this ladder so instead of me like tipping with the ladder it shoots out from underneath me and i just free fall like back first to the ground and just like hit and that was like the first time i'd ever had the wind knocked out of me oh my god and i was like oh i'm dead i was like this is what dying is and then because we're all like 13 or 14 years old, instead of like calling anybody's parents, they literally like the kid walks over and pins me because we had to end the match. <laughs> show must go on. Brother. I mean, that, you know, yeah, the, the show must go on. Right. We have to we have to keep going. So this kid sheepishly pins me and they just dragged me into our friend's living room and laid me on the couch. <laughs> And gave me, like, a bottle of water. And then we're like, bro, are you okay? And it was just 20 minutes of, bro, are you okay? <laughs> Until I was like, I, yes. I think I'm fine. I don't think I broke anything. And then we just, like, never told my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had to explain why I was just, like, super sore. And I was like, oh, we just had a re- we did a really hard match. We, we wrestled on the ground. And, <laughs> you know, it's, like, October, so, it's, you know, it's not soft anymore. And, couldn't tell him like i nearly died 
Was that your was that your worst like close call as far as your backyard wrestling days? Were there any like sketchier stories, or is that like the the craziest one? Because that sounds pretty that gnarly. Be, yeah, honestly, for the most part, we were like really cowardly backyarders. Like we weren't out trying to kill each other or anything. Good, good, yes. Save that for the later. It was days. just. Yeah, we did do we did try to do a flaming table once. Oh my god! And. We had lit this piece of drywall on fire between two two boxes, but because we were all cowards, the the kid who was going through this thing, who was wearing like <laughs> two hoodies, he waited until the fire was literally almost out. <laughs> nice, like 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 less flames than a birthday cake, yeah. and then like got halfway like choke slammed through it. But we had we had like got this big like bucket of water in case like he caught fire. But of course, at this point, he's just like just laying on a piece of broken drywall. Yeah. And one of our friends still ran over and just throws the whole bucket on him. <laughs> and so then he just had to like go home, like just completely wet, <laughs> and explain to his parents he had been wrestling, and somebody threw a whole bucket of water at him. I think the the gnarliest close call with with me and my wrestling days, um, my friend Mike. Uh, we had like a Kmart shopping cart and someone uh, ran over his neck with the shopping cart. Like they ran over him and it and it and it um, almost paralyzed him. He couldn't walk for like 10 minutes. Couldn't move. Oh, it was my just God. Silent. It was just silent. <laughs> I can laugh now because it's so fucked up. But and, and he and he turned out to be OK. But like. Yeah, that was pretty grim. That was a pretty close call that we almost paralyzed our friend by running a shopping cart over him, like New Jack style. Right. And then, like, I think the worst part about backyard wrestling <laughs> injuries is, like, if something does go awry, like, you can't explain that to, yeah. like, anybody. Like, like nobody no glory. would treat that like the dignified reason no. to come into the ER. There's no one chanting your name like, yeah, get up, get up. It's just some guy eating a hot dog and, like, three, like, awkward friends, like, Bro, are you okay? Like you were saying. Yeah, I remember going to the ER. Oh, no. For, for like, way later into being a pro wrestler. I had to go to the ER on the 4th of July because I got hit in the head with a belt and got oh, okay. cut open. Oh. And even that, like, going to the ER and explaining to, like, this lady, I was like, well, I'm a pro wrestler. I was at a wrestling show. Somebody hit me with a belt. I, I got I got split open. She looked at me like I was the dumbest human being alive. <laughs> and part of me was like, look, lady, you're working in the ER on the 4th of July. You, you don't got, even act yeah. like this is the dumbest thing you're going to hear. Right. Oh, my God. She's got to see. That's the bad shift. The 4th of July ER. Damn. Right. That's 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 the Black Friday of the ER. <laughs> So you're doing you're doing this sketchy backyard wrestling. Where did you hear about actual legit like wrestling training? Like how did you get wind that there was this, you know, you could actually become a real wrestler? That came through one of the guys we and this is also part of the sketch for the backyard wrestling. Is every now and then we would just meet people online who wanted to be backyard wrestlers as well mm-hmm. and we go like, "Well, we have a, a backyard wrestling thing. Come by and then we'll, we'll wrestle." And luckily nobody ever like did anything terrible to us like everybody was who they said they were but one of those like randos ended up going to this wrestling school in auburn and getting trained and we found out about him through myspace and so i was like 17 and i was like 
well, I got I got to go. Clearly, this place is legit. If weird backyard wrestling guys there, and that was my initial training was this storage unit in Auburn, uh, which was called Pinnacle Pro Wrestling. Who was and it? And then later, Evie Richards took over the the school. They had they ran shows in the Auburn Super Mall, oh. which was like their their peak, and they yeah, did a Vision few Quest. shows at the Tacoma Elks Lodge. But yeah, like and yeah, after a while, Davy Richards took over as like the head trainer. Oh wow! And yeah, and that was like where I initially got my start. And then later, I went up and trained with uh, with Buddy Wayne, and kind of got a got the polish put on and got everything kind of put together so it made more sense. Yeah. What around what year was this? Uh, so the day I started wrestling was the day Chris Candido passed away. Mm. So that the that was the dark cloud, and even worse is I'm a huge Chris Candido fan. Yeah, no gimmicks needed. <laughs> and so, yeah, that I mean, that was also part of the reason I went with like the the short blonde hair mm. is like why I want to be because initially I used to wrestle under a mask, so my hair didn't matter. Okay, but then when I was like, they're like, oh, we want you to wrestle without a mask. I was like, well, I'm going full Chris Candido. Yeah, I mean that is, I'm gonna I'm gonna start living the dream. But so, yeah, that was the, so it was like, I think, so it was 2005. Mm. I want to say August, August, 2005. Okay. Is when I, when I started wrestling and that was, yeah, like the, the infancy, the infancy of like MySpace and things like that. So I was, I was very lucky, I think, to come into wrestling at a time when social, not everything was being put on social media. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would be able to handle the pressure of like my first year of wrestling all of those matches going on youtube and being shared like I, I i would not wish that on anybody how long uh after training and, and getting some matches in how long did it take until you felt like you could, you kind of got the hang of it like or you maybe felt some confidence like you know pretty good wrestler if you know to put some words in your mouth or anything but like how long did it take till you felt like you you're catching on and doing pretty good Oh man, I think like anybody in wrestling, almost immediately once I started wrestling, I was like, "Well, I got this shit figured out." <laughs> I mean, I, I can bump, I can roll, I can run the ropes, I can do moonsault. Yeah. I mean, or is there? Um, I would say honestly, it probably wasn't until maybe four years in when I'd really felt like, like I'm a I'm a professional, um, and a lot of that had to do with just like my my physical body. Like I wasn't big into like working out, working out like those first three years. I was all, all I did was train in the ring and that was all I did. So I was very like lean, but I had like virtually no muscle, you know I mean? I could do all like the body weight stuff. I could do handstands and yeah. you know, a million pushups to, inf you know, infinity. But yeah, it wasn't until like that third year when I really started taking it serious and like going to the gym and, and getting in shape and looking like a wrestler that I would say I had, I officially was like really like kind of a professional about it, that I cared about not just the in-ring aspect, but mm -hmm. also how do I look? What are my promos like? All these other little things that fell in place. So yeah, I would say it was, it was a long, a long journey, but definitely there's a lot of points along the way where I thought it was hot shit and you know, Oh, no one can touch me in this ring. <laughs> and then you wrestle fit Finley and you're like, Oh, I'm like the worst wrestler Yikes. ever. Dude. He's a <laughs> legend, man. That guy, he's, uh, me, even look, looking back to like, I remember, you know, he wasn't like the most popular guy in WCW, 
Um, but I always just, I, I, even when he had like that, when he had that mullet in WCW, I always knew that guy was a beast dude. And him and Regal would just have these like, you know, undercard matches, but you could just tell they were beating the shit out of each other. Oh yeah. I loved that. Like that little group of guys who wrestled for the TV title when it was like Regal, Finley, like Booker T and then, like, other guys, like Saturn would kind of get thrown mm-hmm. in there every now and then. Malenko. Some of the bigger cruisers. Malenko. I loved, like, that whole section of. And I was, like, a pretty big, like, Finley guy. Because he just looked like he was just beating people up. Oh, yeah. And he did the, and he just did the tombstone for a finish. Which, to me, like, well, the only one I knew <laughs> who did it was the Undertaker. Right? So that's pretty. So I legit, like, as a fan, thought, like, that's a ballsy move doing the Undertaker's move. Totally. What if he finds out? <laughs> So, uh, before Defy, um, what were, you know, what would take a chance? I'd like to give you this chance. What were some of the uh, other wrestling promotions you were working for? Who were some of the other people uh, you were working for, other wrestling companies? And and what was the, I've heard in some interviews they've, um, they've said that like there was the black hole of the Northwest or wasn't much going on. Is that necessarily true or did you find a lot of work? I mean, there's definitely, there was definitely a lot of, a lot of work to be had in the Northwest and it feels like there was always shows every weekend. I think sometimes it was, are these shows worth wrestling? Mm. Cause there's definitely a point where you're, you're at a point where you don't need to wrestle in front of 30 people for $0. And it's probably a little bit more advantageous to stay home and spend that time working out yeah. or, or doing something, doing something else you could be doing. Um, but yeah, I would say my, my favorite place that I wrestled consistently in the Northwest, it was DOA pro wrestling, which mm. as far as I know is, is still around. I feel like they're just on hiatus in Portland, yeah. like the rest of us are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they ran in Portland forever, but that was the first place where they let me just kind of do my own thing. Like I said before, like I started wrestling under a mask and they were the first people to like, take that shit off. <laughs> like... You you don't need this. You're a good looking guy, and Ethan. Just, yeah, and I was like a baby face forever, and they were like, take it off and be a heel. Nice. And so I just had to learn how to be a heel. Um, they were the first place too to like let me go out there and just have like twenty twenty five minute matches. Nice. Um, and learn how to work like that main event pace, like yeah, where it's a little bit slower, a little more plotting, and that but that crescendo needs to be so much higher because of that. And I don't know if anybody else at that time, especially in the Northwest, where, like, when I broke it, it was still very old, veteran heavy. Mm -hmm. And you had a lot of those, like, older guys in their 40s who were like, oh, I just call it all in the ring, kid. And, you know, you and all you kids in all your spots and this and that. And so it was hard finding, like, vets who would sit and even work with you and want you to to improve. And that's why... and I will say this probably until the day I die. Buddy Wayne was the man in the Northwest because he was the the only one of the only vets. Richie Magnet was probably the other one who would go out there and work with younger guys, and he wouldn't belittle you. He wouldn't say like we're not doing all this bullshit, you know. Like I mean, there was definitely a limit to how much you could plan with Buddy, but Buddy also could just call it all in the ring, yeah. you know. Like, and that's where I learned like, well, here is when you need to plan things. Here is when you don't. But he, he, I wrestled him at a show in Tulalip and I went up to him and I was like, do you know how long we have? And he goes three. And I was like, minutes. And he looked at me dead in the face and goes seconds. 
and just went back to tying his boots. And so I walked away and I was like, all right, this is going to be weird. And then right before we went out, I was in the behind the curtain warming up. He goes up to me and he's like, do you do a crossbody? I was like, yeah, I do a crossbody. He's like, okay, cool. Do that. Um, do give me like three things before that. I'll see you out there. Didn't even wait for his music. Just walked out to the ring. And but yeah, he just called the whole thing to me and was amazing. And then afterwards, he gave me a million pointers, invited me to come up to his school and, and train with him and learn from him. Nice. But no other veteran did anything close to that for any of us younger guys coming in. It was, we went out there, we were told, like, I'm not planning anything with you. We're calling it all in the ring. And then they would just try to eat you alive. Yeah. And then they would tell you you were the shits afterwards. <laughs> and so I think a lot of the reason, like, the Northwest was a black hole for so long is just because, like, all of these old guys just wanted to cling to their spots and nobody wanted to watch them wrestle. And so you would get 30 people. And then the second, like, DOA started letting younger guys have these main events and do, like, this modern wrestling style, you started seeing, like, 200 people showing up. Yeah. And now we can wrestle in an armory. We don't have to wrestle in this, like, pizza joint. And, yeah, a lot of that was just because DOA was the first ones to go, like, this old guard needs to step the fuck down. If you can't hang with these younger guys, you got to go home. You can go wrestle in, like, a VFW hall with your 30 friends and talk about how cool you guys are, even though you all wrestle with T-shirts on. <laughs> well, yeah. So, that... Yeah, all, all the credit in the world to DOA. Like, they, yeah, they let us get away with, with whatever we wanted. And, yeah, I think the Northwest is the better for it. And and I'm glad you brought up Buddy Wayne, R.I.P. It's so awesome to see his son like carrying that, you know. And 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 I've seen his his son wrestle a few times up in Everett. So awesome, you know. He's he's a young kid, but he's a high flying, like really good wrestler for how young he is. Man, he's pff, kick kick my ass. I constantly forget how young he is, partially because he's so tall now. Yep, like. Because, again, like, I started wrestling in 05. So, like, I met Nick when he was, like, five or six years old. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he was, like, a kid, a kid, and just, like, doing roles in the ring, like, after practice. That's awesome. And then, yeah, to see him now be taller than me, which is upsetting. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just to see, like, how good he is, which doesn't surprise me at all. Like, he's had a, you know, his dad was a great trainer, and then he just had a really positive a positive environment to come up in. But yeah, like the, the match we had out in DOA, I, yeah, I was just blown away. I was like, this kid is a, is more of a pro than most guys 10 years, his senior. That's awesome. And I don't think he even realizes truly how good he is and how much potential he has wow. to be like one of the best. Like he truly does have like the entire world ahead of him. And I, it just I feel like he's oblivious to all of it. Like he's taking it one day at a time. That's probably the best way to be. Like, yeah, which is good for the ego. But but I'm just like looking at this kid and I'm like, you're gonna be so good in five years and you're gonna be so much bigger and jacked and all these things. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah, it's it's mind blowing to me. Uh so if people that uh, are listening, they might not know, but um, and and I don't really know all the details. But you had the chance to go down to New Zealand and be the trainer at uh, Bad Luck Fale's dojo. Is that right? 
Yeah, it was the the second time I've gotten to to travel outside the country and uh, help coach at a wrestling school. Uh, the first was uh, what, 2017. Yeah, 2017. I went out to the Great Kali School, and then oh, cool. Uh, what mid 2018? I went to to Follies for about three months. Uh, how did you get scouted like first, for those things? How did you get scouted for those things? Um, honestly, it was through uh, this guy Tornado Tony Casina, who's been wrestling longer than I have. And he knew Fale from when Fale went on his American excursion to St. Cool. Louis and wrestled the Indies out there with Tony and Davey and Kyle O'Reilly. Okay. And so initially what happened was when Fale opened his school, he reached out to Tony and was like, oh, hey, you know, like, I got the school now. I'm wrestling full-time in Japan. I can't train these guys day in, day out. Would you want to do this? And, and Tony was like, well, I got a lot going on. I can't do it right now. You should reach out to, to Ethan. He's done this kind of stuff before. He... He understands. Yeah. And so, yeah, Folly reached out. And, yeah, I just it worked out really well that I had the the time, the, the I guess kind of the flexibility yeah. to go and do that wrestling full time. So I had the flexibility to just, yeah, let me come over here and do that. And it was, it was amazing. And it was very cool, too, because anytime I go to somebody else's school, my thing is always like, what are your what are your priorities? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm here to like to train guys the way you think they should be trained. Yeah. Like I'll put my own. You're working on for it. them, yeah. But yeah, I'm you know I'm your employee. What what does success look like to you? Totally. And one of the biggest things was he's like that first hour needs to be conditioning. So mm-hmm. we would do these three hour sessions Monday through Saturday, and yeah, that first hour it could be us doing you know a thousand squats and like another hundred push ups. Brutal. And maybe a hundred. 50 leg raises, jump squats, all the all this stuff. And that's the first hour. Then it's go take a sip of water and get get back in the ring. And now we're going to do two hours of wrestling. And it could be grappling. It could be bumping, striking, anything. But, yeah, it was just very, very cool to see, like, this is what, what New Japan's looking for. Yeah. And this is what they want. And which is also beneficial to me. Oh, you know, yeah. Like, what these other places are looking for. You know, same when I went to Kali's and... You know, I asked him, like, what do you what do you want? Thing, how do you want things done? And he was like, I want these guys to be WWE ready. This is what WWE focuses on. And I remember one one thing specifically was the way that you run the ropes. The WWE has a specific way they train guys to do it. And so I had to adjust the way that I I run the ropes. So I mean, one just to set a good example for for the for the, the students. But also then, yeah, to just be able to turn around and now, like, teach them. And even same thing going over to Follies. Like, there were certain, like, judo-style bumps that I had to go and learn so that I could turn around and, and teach to these guys. Huh. That's cool. When you were, when you were at Collies, did he teach you the big chop? <laughs> kind of. So, <laughs> yes. Collie is massive. And... He's way more hands-on than I think people people realize. Or th- everybody always paints Kali as like this lazy guy. He's one of the hardest working people really? I've ever met. This guy got off a plane in Delhi, drove six hours to the school, like changed, and immediately went to the gym and worked out for an hour. Nice. And then went like about his and this was like early in the morning. Yeah. Like, he landed like five in the morning got to the school by like noonish worked out eight and then went and did meetings and all these other things the rest of the day like he's a very hard-working guy yeah and but he's he's so big like 
just massive, and his hands are like like a bunch of bananas. Like you shake his hand, and it feels like you're just like picking up a bunch of bananas. And, Damn. And he knows it because every now and then he'll like put his hand on your shoulder, but he'll purposely just drop it right onto your shoulder so you like feel that weight. Nice. And he, like, he knows. I his couldn't presence. imagine you hitting me across the head with this thing. Oh my god. Like you would break my neck. <laughs> Oh, damn. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I definitely want to talk a little bit more and, and get into your 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 impressions of Defy and, and your time with Defy. So you were one. Yeah, I think you were the first official Defy match you against your now partner, Mike Santiago. Um, what was your first impression of Defy? Uh, my first impression. So the first time I had heard about Defy, Jim had reached out to me. Uh, via social media to kind of tell me like he had this idea for promotion and then we met up after a show that i was running at el corazon oh yeah yeah, yeah. project 42 right project 42 yeah and uh so he he told me a little bit more about what he was doing what he had planned and i remember him specifically saying he's like yeah i want to do something like progress is doing in the uk which made me even more excited when he was like defies working with progress because i know the fact that he modeled that his company kind of in that the vein of yeah and now progress is saying yo we're we're on an even platform we, mm-hmm. we would like to work with you i'm That's sure huge. it was a massive feather in his cap and i was beyond stoked when when jim made that announcement um but i had i i couldn't have guessed like when he was telling me all these things like this is really cool and you know like in wrestling there's definitely a lot of like uh, I'll, I'll believe it when it when it happened totally you know, nothing nothing happens until it happens in wrestling and so just seeing like that first defy show and like the lighting was on the ring like he'd clearly put a lot of thought into the production of it mm-hmm. and that's what I appreciated most is that he created an atmosphere and he wasn't just trying to make another wrestling company but defy was a distinct brand because at the end of the day the same way wrestlers get over with characters promotions get over with characters you know like what made ring of honor stand out from other indies that were booking the same guys Ring of Honor had the code of honor. There was no cheating. All of these, like, these little things. Yeah. But that's what set them apart. You know, like, Shikara, the same thing. Like, CZW, same thing. Yep. And the fact that he knew, for a guy who had really no experience in wrestling, knew to do all of these little things. I was like, yo, unless something catastrophic happens, Defy is going to make it. Like, and so um, I almost didn't do the first show because I was going to Collie's that year. Mm. And the only thing that saved it is initially I was going to leave, I think, right after Christmas. And I think Defy's first show was January. Yeah. And Collie ended up putting it off because it was cheaper to buy the flight a month later rather oh. than try to buy it during the holidays. So he blessed you with that. And yeah, so I messaged Jim like last minute and was like, hey, just, you know, as a heads up, I can make your show if, if you want, if you're still interested. And he was like, cool, um, what about Santiago? Because Mike also wasn't, wasn't initially booked for the, the show. And so it was really just kind of this dumb luck that, that we just, it worked out that we were both available. And yeah, we did like the loser leaves town because I was immediately just going to turn around and leave. Yeah. And then, yeah, like I think when I almost, I think the show I came back, we just reunited and yeah, we were the guns. And then, uh, just raised hell pretty much every show after that what what's your history with mike santiago 
Um, the first time I met Mike was at an ICW show. And it was just, I think it was just brief in passing. Mm-hmm. I was just on my way there to like try to get booked and then met Tim Flowers and realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for Tim Flowers. Um, but then later he came and wrestled for Pinnacle Pro Wrestling, the, the school I trained out of and the promotion I was wrestling for. Yeah. And I think we got, we got along pretty well. Uh, the first time we wrestled, I broke his nose. Oh no. Um, I did a moonsault off of a storage unit in this armory Jesus. and he was there to catch me. And yeah, just straight up, just like, I think caught him like an elbow, like right in the nose. And his daughter was at the show and she was very young at the time and hated me, like did not like me because I was the guy who broke her dad's nose. Um, but yeah, I dude. think we like we just hit it off because we were, we were both very like-minded in the sense that like we both, we both kind of wanted the same thing out of wrestling. We mm-hmm. weren't necessarily WWE driven, but we wanted to, to make a genuine go at it and just get as far as, in wrestling as we could. And yeah, I think he just, we all had that same mentality of just like, we're going to go out there, tear the house down, you know, all of these, these old guys be damned. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think just traveling together too, you know, like Mike definitely became like my older brother. Like, for the longest time, it was me, him, and uh, my friend Aaron. And we would just go from, like, Tacoma to Sacramento and do shows out in California because yeah. there just wasn't anything good in the Northwest. But, yeah, he's absolutely, like, my older brother. Like, I I mean, I would say there's maybe a handful of people that I would I would consider family just because I, I just, by default, a small blood family. But, yeah, absolutely, like, he's he's family to me. What did it, did it take, um, did it take you a little while to kind of adjust to being a, a primarily a tag team wrestler in Defy? Did you guys work on your dynamics as far as like being a tag team or did you have history with doing that kind of tag team wrestling? Yeah, because we always traveled together, promotions would either make us wrestle each other or we would be a tag team. Okay. So we, uh, we've been a tag team up in Canada, uh, in Oregon and Cali kind of everywhere. And then, yeah, when Defy was talking about it, like, you know, like, would you guys be interested in being, being a tag team here? I think we both realized, too, like, that was the best route to go. Because that... For sure. I think as single guys at the time, Defy was bringing in so many, so many outside guys. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of room for, for indiv- like, local wrestlers to be an individual talent. And the door was a lot more open to be, to be a tag team. There's a lot more room for us to... Yeah, we needed a homegrown tag team. Yeah, and Defy didn't have that, and I I was totally happy happy to do that. I would be happy tagging with Mike until we're both done, or until he's he's sick of me, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you guys are a tag team, and and um, I'm I'm just you know this is the wrestling nerd question, and and you're you know a longtime wrestling fan, growing up with it and stuff. So I feel like comfortable asking you this historically you know past or present what is one tag team that you think the guns would have a great match with Ooh, oh that's a good one um i want to say demolition because nice. i wrote that on the booking sheet once at defy um kind of as a joke it was the night we wrestled the lucha bros oh, but they yeah. didn't want anybody knowing that's who was booked so it just said american guns versus question mark so I went to the booking sheet on the wall and just wrote in demolition. Yeah. And I think book brothers came up to me and he was like, you guys are wrestling demolition. And I was like, yeah, man, they're in town for a convention. And yeah, it just worked out. 
Call it in the ring. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I would say, oh god, that's such a tough one. There's so many good tag teams right now. Um, I guess the Young Bucks. I think. Yeah. I think we'd have a lot of. Fun. Yeah, I, I would have a lot. I would have a lot of fun. I don't. I don't know if they would have as much fun, but. Uh, but t- I would have fun. Tell me about that night with the Lucha Brothers. Like how? How? I guess just like walk me through that just real quick. Like that whole night of wrestling the Lucha Brothers because that was being in the being just a fan and watching from afar. That was insane. What was that like for you? So I I remember messaging Matt like a week before the show because I knew we were booked for the show, but he, I didn't know who we were wrestling and they didn't announce it. Mm-hmm. So I just messaged Matt. And I was like, "Hey, do you know who we're wrestling?" And he's like, "It's a surprise." Hmm. And I was like, "Okay, that that means I don't know." And so Mike got to the venue first, and Matt Farmer wouldn't tell him because I texted Mike and I was like, "Hey, who are we wrestling?" And he's like, "Farmer won't say until you show up." And I was like, oh, this is bad then. <laughs> so I get there, and he pulls us aside, and he's like, all right, just keep it, keep it on the DL. Uh, you're wrestling the Lucha Bros. And Mike immediately goes, bullshit, who are we wrestling? Because I think at that point, Penta had, been, had missed two shows mm-hmm. he was booked for at Defy. Yeah. I think Phoenix missed one in Tacoma. Yeah. And... So, which also is, I think, part of the reason they didn't announce the Lucha Bros. For sure. Is so that if, like, they did have travel issues again, it wouldn't it wouldn't look bad for Defy or the Lucha Bros for for not appearing. But Matt was like, yeah, they just landed at the, the airport. Uh, they're going to be on their, they're checking into the hotel. They'll be on their way here. And then, to keep it a secret, there's offices above Washington Hall. Mm-hmm. And so they brought in the Lucha... And I love that they brought in the Lucha Bros through, like, this back entrance... Yeah. And then up to the uh, up to the offices, because in my head I was like, they wear masks. You don't have to sneak them in the back door. No one's gonna know, right? <laughs> like at least to me. Like I mean, I I wouldn't have. I don't think I would have known. I mean, I guess maybe if I two like Mexican tatted up dudes, yeah, with roller back. Guess I, I might have made some guesses. But yeah, and so we we planned the entire match out. But they didn't get there until the first match went on. Oh, and yeah. we were third on the show. So it was like we had maybe 20, 25 minutes to figure everything out. And there's a bit of a language barrier. Like yeah. wrestling's an international language, but there's still a little bit of like a language barrier as far as, you know, when you're trying to explain timing mm-hmm. or, or cadence to somebody or like just when and where you're going to do it. And I think for literally just kind of throwing it together while they're painting up their faces and we're all just getting geared up, I, I thought it would turn out incredibly well, but definitely. it was, it was definitely one of those, like one of those wrestling, like I'll believe it when it happens kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, when they, when they came into the, the office, I was like, okay, I'm 90% sure this is going to happen now. Let's, let's start talking. Exactly. That's awesome, man. That's great. I remember that. And <clears throat> Excuse me. You, there's the thing with uh, Defiance. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me start over. The thing about uh, you and Defy is we can we've watched you from that beginning match, you and Santiago, and you've grown so much, and your characters have grown so much, and you know you guys are the heels, but so many people love you guys, and you're just like a part baked into the Defy. So, so like, you know, you guys are. Yeah, I know you guys had careers before, but I, I just you guys are Defy, so 
it's uh you guys are kind of homegrown talent i'd say it's just as far as like you know you're not the fly-in people but you're 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 the homegrown awesome northwest talent and uh it's cool to see thank you and yeah i try i mean i definitely feel like i'm a defy guy and yeah. even like going to other shows that's Defy is primarily what we're known for. Like we went to, uh, like last year we went to West Coast Pro, mm-hmm. and yeah, like everybody was like, "Oh hey man, like what's you know like what's Defy like?" Oh, that's and I cool. remember, and not not to name drop them, I'm gonna name drop. I remember specifically talking to like Will Hobbs about Defy. Oh wow, and being like, "Dude, you need to message them." Yeah, like, like you are are huge and can move and you have personality. Like, yeah. you kill it up there and especially because i think at that time brody was on his way out mm-hmm. or maybe he'd already gone to ring of honor yeah and i was like and i would have killed for will hobbs versus shaft oh yeah and like the whole time talking to him about like you need to like message defy in my head i'm like you need to wrestle shaft yeah like, this match needs to happen like well now well, he's I'm, got I'm a full-time job at aew so pretty good for yeah, him I mean, he, things turned out well for him i guess <laughs> i'd imagine you know? so um, he never got that Washington Hall pop, but right? Whatever. He's got that Daly's Place pop. Um, yeah. So, uh, as far as like wrapping things up, um, do you have any final words like for the Defiance? I mean, we're all kind of unfortunately not able to go see wrestling live at Washington Hall. But is there anything you want to say to the Defiance? And um, you know, while, while we have you here with us, yeah. Um... I guess the, the 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 main thing I wanna I wanna say to the defiance, and I think partially because I don't think it gets said enough in wrestling, or when it does, it's it's on the mic at a show, and it's always it always feels like it's just kind of part of the performance. Uh, is just a genuine thank you to like to the defiance for being as incredibly supportive as they have been, and going so above and beyond, like they they really are the ones that like make defy this super indie. And a lot of it is just, you know, the amount of support that the wrestlers get from the defiance on social media, you know, even through all this, so many members of the defiance have come up to my shop That's awesome. and, you know, bought shirts there and bought things because they know that like they're supporting a company that still has bills to pay mm-hmm. during this pandemic. And I don't know if every wrestling company has fans that genuine that truly yeah. feel like they're they're a part of it and they're not they're not fair weather fans you know so many of those fans could have just said you're not running shows right now i'm gonna spend my dollar on places that are yeah and the fact that they said this is my home promotion this is the company that i love that i support and i will do everything in my power to make sure that when we get to the tail end of this this pandemic whenever it is yeah that there is going to be a defy wrestling and that they, this will still be a part of my life. And I, I think they don't get enough. Thank you for that. Or when they do, like I said, it's, it's always on the house mic yeah. and it's at, that's part of the show. But I think in general, wrestling fans really are, and it sounds cliche, but they are the lifeblood of, of wrestling. And it's, it's very rare that you find a group of wrestling fans that truly care about the wrestling promotion more than just what, who are you going to bring in to entertain us? Yeah. You know, I, I've for a long time felt that Defy could literally say, Hey, this show we're only using, using local talent. 
and the Defiance would turn out because they know they're still going to get a, an A plus level show. Oh yeah, there is so much. They've because they right they've put so much faith into Defy that like as soon as Defy announces a date, they're selling out before they they ever announce you know so and so is coming in mm-hmm. because they know that Defy would never intentionally do them wrong or lead them astray or or disappoint them. Defy's always been have been amazing to fans and yeah the fans have always been amazing back and it's this truly mutually symbiotic relationship a million thank yous i cannot express the gratitude i i have towards the defiance fans and i know this will ruin any chance of me getting booed ever again nice but that's fine i'll, I'll you know i'll say something shitty about the seahawks or something there you go i'll get i'll get them i'll i'll get them well, uh, in the mean, yeah. in the meantime, until we can, you know, boo you again in the ring once this is all, uh, you know, in the rearview mirror. How can we support you? Um, you know, where can we find uh, you online, um, your podcast, and also your comic book store? Why don't you uh, drop all the info that we can support you? My comic book shop is Destiny City Comics, uh, located right diagonal from the Tacoma Temple Theater. So, like the the north, the north end of Tacoma, bleeding into the Stadium District, which mm-hmm. isn't where the Tacoma Dome is. Uh, it's actually named for Stadium High School, which is the school they filmed Ten Things I Hate About You at. Shout so out also, Heath you know, come by the shop, get a book, and then also take a photo of uh, Cinematic History at uh, Stadium High School. Um, and I also carry Defy stuff there as well. And yeah, uh, but yeah, if you want to support me, that the best way to do it is just buying stuff from the shop. I had a fan recently buy a gift card for Warhorse to to spend at my shop digitally. So even if you're not into comics, if your favorite wrestler is, you could buy them a gift card to my store that they can spend online, and then I will I will send them stuff. That's awesome. So yeah, I thought it was a very cool thing, and it was something I I never would have thought of. And then this guy just messaged me and was like, can I buy Warhorse a gift card? I said, you're damn right you can. That's badass. But yeah, so that's the best way to support the store and then by proxy support me and my energy drink habit. Um, you can find the podcast. It's Going Home Early with Ethan HD. It's on uh, iHeartRadio as of today on nice. iHeartRadio now. Uh, it's also on Spotify. It's also on Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm still working on Google Podcasts. I don't. I don't understand what they want for me. I gave them my RSS feed, and uh, they haven't replied. But yeah, those are the, the best ways to find the podcast. Um, and then if you just want to like follow me on social media, uh, on Twitter at real Ethan HD, on Instagram Ethan HD three one two. My Twitter is absolutely all over the place. Uh, my feed is literally retweeting defies Patreon, making a joke about flashlights, making a statement about Black Lives Matter. So yeah. it's a mixed bag. Okay, I like it. <laughs> Ethan, thank you so much, man, for, for taking the time. Um, but at the same time, you know, what else could we be doing these days? It's not like we're going to a concert or anything. So <laughs> True. Though, hope, I mean, hopefully one day. And in the meantime, you know, support your venues. You know, exactly. El Corazon could always use your support. Exactly. You know, the Black, uh, the Black Tone's doing a great job of pushing that and uh, – making sure there's still music venues in Seattle when we get to the, uh, the end of this pandemic. Shout out, uh, shout out to Ava and Cedric. That band is awesome. I love them. I have their whole album, uh, Cornbread and Cobain or Cobain and Cornbread on my playlist at the store. Dude. So good. 
I love it, yeah. Ethan, thank you so much, man. Have a good night. You too.